Well, good evening again, friends of Carmel. This is Mark Danis with Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. Uh, I have as my uh, co-host, as I do each week, Francis Harry. Francis, how are you? This I'm doing very well. What a blessing it is to be here with you and all of our listeners. Thanks for tuning in. Well, I, I probably haven't done a really good job of uh, withholding my enthusiasm and excitement as we cover Blessed Elizabeth of the Trinity. <laughs> That's okay, Mark. Uh, we like it. Yeah, I'm not going to, uh, certainly not going to apologize for that. Uh, she is, as I've said many times, uh, even before we got to her in the series, uh, really one of my favorites because she has a way of getting to um, the meat of it, if you will, in our spirituality, of sort of boiling it down. I've said so many times, St. John of the Cross um, covers the educational spectrum, uh, really helps us understand what it is that we need to strive for and gives us a roadmap. Uh, St. Teresa of Avila, of course, gives a counsel on prayer and a guidance on how to deal with difficult situations and such a model of endurance. Uh, but for me, Blessed Elizabeth really gets to the heart of the matter, uh, what are we trying to uh, do in our relationship with the Lord? How are we trying to mature it? And her focus, her ability to just bring everything uh, in her life, the good and the bad, uh, to bear in her relationship with our Lord. And we're going to talk about that, of course, uh, this program. But let's do, as we do each week, let's begin in prayer, because, of course, we want to put ourselves in right with the Lord before we begin our conversation. Right, and this prayer is a prayer for vocation. Um, the vocation that we all have the, uh, to union with God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. We turn to you, Mary, Mother of the Church. Through your fiat, you have opened the door which makes Christ present in the world, in history, and in individual lives. In humble silence and in total availability, you welcome the call of the Most High. Through your intercession, may we welcome his call, too. May all men, women, and children in our day respond to your Son's invitation, follow me. Obtain for us the grace to follow Christ with fidelity and courage along the road that he walked. Help us to walk in Jesus Christ, rooted in him, built up in him, strengthened in faith, and growing in him, and thanksgiving. Mary, Queen of Peace, Queen of Angels and Saints, Queen of Apostles, pray for us that we respond favorably to God's call. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Francis. Well, let's do a little bit of uh, housekeeping just to sort of set the table and uh, reiterate where we are in the series with Elizabeth. We started, of course, the first week, as we do with each of the new uh, saints or characters that we introduce with some biographical material, and we got Elizabeth, if I remember, Francis, uh, up to the doorway, at least, of the Carmel. <laughs> yes. We didn't quite finish at that stage, but we did finish uh, last week when we met. Um, and we used largely a text uh, at that time uh, that Elizabeth had written somewhat early on uh, in her time in Carmel called Heaven in Faith. And we used that series of um, retreats, really, uh, to get a grounding in this idea of the importance of faith, uh, how we begin to dwell within, how we go inside. And again, this going inside is not a retreat from the world. I know, uh, of course, the, uh, the Carmelites that we're reading about have retreated from the world. They live behind the walls of the Carmel. 
Uh, but Elizabeth was able to teach us how she entered into that uh, uh, state of retreat even before she entered Carmel. Right. She had begun to create that cell within her, which became uh, the place where she dwelt and found the Lord dwelling within her. Yeah, so you have that heaven within your soul. And if you really uh, dwell on that thought, oh my goodness, that is so profound, so deep, and so true. Heaven is with us. Heaven is with us at all times. Uh, our Lord told us, the kingdom of God is within you, and we can't take these words lightly. In fact, if anything, we've got to spend a great deal of time meditating and contemplating what the Lord is trying to communicate to us in those very powerful uh, verses. And, of course, uh, St. Paul's verses as well. St. Paul, one of Elizabeth's favorites, uh, all of his letters, in fact, were uh, a, a great source of strength and comfort to her and also guidance. She, I think, looked to Paul, in addition to St. John of the Cross, as, as sort of a personal spiritual guide, uh, both of them. This week we're going to deal with a uh, work called The Greatness of Our Vocation, hence the appropriateness, Francis, of your uh, prayer this evening. Uh, all of us as Christians, of course, are called to intimacy with the Lord. This is not for the religious. This is not just for uh, the Carmels who, uh, or Carmelites who are in the Carmel and behind the walls. One of the things uh, I've always said about Elizabeth is, if anybody gives us as lay people, and for those of you in our listening audience who are lay people or seculars, if you're members of a Carmelite or other uh, community, one of the great encouragements that Elizabeth provides is uh, we can begin to live this life without ever entering, in fact, uh, a, 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 you know, a religious life or a religious order or living in a convent. That's not the trick. That may be a material representation of what it is that we're called to, but we're all called to the same thing. Exactly, and this vocation in Christ is to build ourselves into the Holy Temple where the Holy Spirit dwells, so that and the bottom line is to do God's will. So we're all called to do God's will. And as we do that, our union with God will increase. Yeah, we need to think about it just that way. That's a great analogy, Francis. Um, we know that our bodies are that temple of the Holy Spirit, right from Scripture. And we can't just presume that the construction, if you will, of the temple is complete, right? We know right. the construction of the actual temple uh, is not complete. There's work to be done, and we know within ourselves... There's work to be done yet on the temple by brick and by uh, um, uh, pillar and... Uh, labor. <laughs> and labor, right. We've got to work to build that temple. We're not just sitting here waiting, if you will, uh, for the end time. We know, we've acknowledged that the, the kingdom of heaven is within us, but we've got to build a temple worthy to receive that, uh, that blessing. And, of course, this is what Elizabeth is teaching us in the greatness of our vocation. Now, we've covered briefly, though, I want to just uh, talk again, uh, about these three significant S's. And, Francis, <laughs> what's the first of the S's that we need silence, to Silence, right? Silence. Silence, yeah. Um, of course, this is uh, the great call of Carmel, the call to silence. And silence we know, and each of these will be true. Uh, there's the material silence, the absence of sound, and we need to seek that, yeah. especially in our world, where we're so barraged by music and television and uh, movies and video and and uh, e even talking, uh, you know, just one-to-one -one talking. And We're even so the voices within our own head. Yeah, but most especially the voices within our own head. So there's that material silence, and then there's that deep internal silence. St. Benedict, in fact, writes about 12 levels of silence. I won't test myself. 
we're trying to remember them all, but he, he, he refers, for example, to silencing the body, silencing the emotion, silencing the, the judgment uh, part of us. All of that has to be brought into uh, this uh, spiritual state of silence so that we can listen to that still, small voice. This is hard work. I want to you know, emphasize for our listeners, this is not uh, just something where, well, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll get up a little earlier in the morning and I'll close myself behind the, the uh, uh, you know, door in the front room or whatever the case might be, wherever you find your quiet spot, um, and I'll spend a few minutes with the Lord and then I'll, I'll enter into silence. This does take some effort. It takes some work, doesn't right. it, Francis? And someone pointed out to me something interesting last week. They said this silence is not necessarily um, the way we think of silence, but she said it's the fullness of God. And I'm yeah. like, oh, I like that. As we empty of ourselves and of our the world around us and our own internal voices, and we try to be empty of self, we receive the fullness of God. I like that so well. Yeah, and there are practical steps. I mean, some of this, um, let, I think it's fair to call it a theology, uh, Elizabeth's theology of prayer. There are some very practical steps, and I think we want to get to those practical steps. She certainly does in the work that she's provided for us uh, for this particular program. Um, we don't want to talk in philosophical terms or theological terms or terms that are unapproachable. Uh, Elizabeth was a very simple person in her own right, uh, as was Therese, as arguably was Teresa. John was a bit more academic, but you know many of our great Carmelite saints live very simple lives. And what they have to communicate to us, though it may at first impression... Uh, seem difficult, and and you have to work with a little bit. The reality is, if you take the time to enter into silence and you sit with the language and the reflections that uh, Elizabeth has to offer, uh, you'll begin to see their simplicity. Um, It's the complication of our minds and of our distractions that's keeping us from seeing the beauty in in her message. Well, that simplicity is another key word, so silence. Simplicity, and you were going to name some others there. Well, simplicity, of course, is, again, on a material level. We need to simplify our lives. We need to get rid of so many distractions we have in our modern-day life. And, of course, we mentioned all the noise, but uh, let's acknowledge there are all the challenges of raising family, of uh, uh, financial burdens, of, uh, uh, you know, uh, interaction with, uh, with business uh, associates or whatever your profession might be. All of these things need to be simplified. There is right. so much complexity in our modern-day life. That's its material element. In the spiritual realm, though, simplicity, as Elizabeth talks about it, is that single eye. Yes. Remember our reading from last week? Yes. She talked about the single eye. Well, yes, and, and as you were talking about business, I always think of that word, B-U-S-Y, as being under Satan's yoke. And when we are so busy, we're caught up in the world, and, and so we're enslaved. So when we get that single eye and we are in simplicity and we're focused on what's most important, then we are able to uh, uh, make our life more in union with God. Yeah, I was reading, uh, I'm not going to remember, unfortunately, who it was, I think, last night, but uh, talking about that very issue of uh, the complexity and the diversity of our lives and how many things we have to wrestle with. And, you know, we have a tendency to try to, reach out and bring God back into our complexity, back into, Lord, can you fix this? Lord, can you straighten this thing out? When, in fact, it should be the other way. We need to bring all of that complexity, all of that diversity, all of those trials and struggles under the headship of Christ. We need to bring them under the dominion of Christ. It's not a question of 
I said this last week, not a question of, you know, sort of dispensing with everything. We can't just walk away from our responsibilities. But we have to take a moment and say, is this particular activity that I'm involved with, is this leading me to Jesus Christ, and if so, how? And if not, if I don't have a good answer to that question, I need to evaluate whether that's part of my life, whether that's something that needs to continue to be. You know, and I'll use the simple example of uh, spending perhaps more time at the gym than we have to, or worrying watching ball game after ball or, game after ball game, or, or, or watching too many uh, football. You know, what you should do is choose <laughs> the teams like I do that always win, and then you don't have to worry about it. <laughs> but but we have to ask ourselves that question in the in the vein of simplicity. And of course, the last one is solitude. We have to find solitude. What is solitude? It's that time alone. It's that time away. Mm -hmm. Yes, and, you know, I think we are, as a society, are missing solitude. I mean, when's the last time you saw somebody sitting on their porch in that rocking chair, rocking, you know, just pondering? Um, I I love that image as um, it reminds me of the Blessed Mother, you know, and also of um, Mary and the better portion sitting at the feet of Jesus pondering. So I invite you all to take time this week, this Advent season, uh, this time of your life to ponder. Ponder God's call to you to union with Him. And you grow in union with Him by doing His will. So ask yourself, how are you doing His will? Is what you're doing pleasing in His sight? We want to please the Lord. Yeah, and I want to offer this encouragement um, with regard to the writings that we're going to speak about this evening. Uh, Imagine arriving at a state in your relationship with our Lord where literally all of the joys that you're experiencing in life, be it in family or work or accomplishments, whatever they may be, not difficult, I think, to imagine this, but where all of those simply lift you up and bring you closer to the Lord. That that we can imagine. Yes. But then again, imagine the other side, yes. where all of the trials and all of the things that, quite frankly, we wake up in the morning, Francis, and we say to ourselves, boy, my life would be great but for this, or my life would be wonderful if I could just remove this from it. Whatever it might be, it might be historical, it might be something from our childhood or from an early stage in our life, or it may be facing us today. A relationship may, with someone? Yeah, or it may be a great fear that we have about the future. But if, it, what if, imagine again, what if we could take all of that, this is, I think, Elizabeth's great gift, if we could take all of that and bring it under the... Um, you know, submission, that the headship of Jesus Christ, in a way that doesn't just become, um, yeah, I, I would be close to the Lord, except for this, but now it's okay. It, it becomes more than that. It actually serves as the wave that lifts us up to Jesus Christ. Yes, all things happen for a reason, right? Yeah, exactly. And if, if we can get to that uh, place, and I'll, I continue to say it that way, because we're not brought there ourselves. We don't bring ourselves there. We dispose ourselves, and the Lord, of course, draws us into this. Elizabeth's a great guide and a great teacher. But the point being, if we could get to that place where uh, we wouldn't say, despite this, we'd say, because of this trial, challenge, obstacle, I'm being drawn closer uh, to our Lord. I'm being drawn into deeper intimacy with our Lord. That's the place where Elizabeth was. She lived a very long, uh, uh, young life and accomplished a great deal on the spiritual plane in that young life. Um, and she's prepared to show us how to do that, how to bring all of that under Christ's uh, headship. Yeah, I think she's talking about these very trials. Doesn't she use the language about becoming these trials becoming the rushing stream which carries us to the very height of sanctity? How's yeah. that for uh, nailing a trial? <laughs> the rushing I, I, stream heading to sanctity. I yeah. love it. 
I, I think that's exactly it. I think what we have to do is understand, um, as I say, not how uh, trials can be dispensed with. You know, there's so much of this in our modern society, and we tend, uh, John of the Cross talks about this, right, where we, we have success in prayer. Early on in our prayer, we have some success, and we begin to use prayer or our relationship with our Lord or, uh, you know, the intervention of the saints to, to start removing all the obstacles in our life. You know, that's what life is. It, uh, uh, God is here to remove all my obstacles, and then when things get better, then, you know, the pathway to him is made easy. Well, in fact, John teaches us um, that may happen for a time as the Lord draws us in, but eventually those rules begin to change, and we have to come to understand that it is those very challenges in our life that become the, uh, not, in fact, the obstacles to our Lord, but the vehicles that carry yeah. us to our Lord. Oh, yeah, the opportunities to exercise virtue, that maybe conquering the sin that we have. Yeah, patience and, and uh, kindness and humility and all of those things that are necessary don't come to us oftentimes when, when everything is sort of given to us and the, and the pathway is made smooth. It comes through the trials and it comes through the difficulty. And it increases. It gives us the opportunity to increase our faith, our belief, even though we don't see our hope, which is that desire even without possession, and, of course, our love, uh, which is always given without expectation of return. All right. Well, let's, let's begin now with uh, uh, where Elizabeth began, and that is drawing off um, St. Augustine's statement that within every one of us there is a city of God, and then there's a city of self. And where do we want to tend toward here, Francis? <laughs> well, I'm I'm got my single eye on God. <laughs> I want that city of God. How about you? Well, and she says, to the extent that the first of these, that's the city of God, increases, the second or the city of self will decrease. This, of course, comes uh, directly from Scripture. John the Baptist, who heralded the coming of the Lord, said, "He must increase, and I must decrease." That's from John three thirty, and that is so true. He must increase. And I must decrease. Yeah, and this is not, this is, by the way, a perfect a phrase, of course, for this time of year. For Advent, yes. Yeah, but it's not just referring to the coming of Christ at that time. We know right. John ba- uh, the Baptist is not heralding only Christ's coming at that time. Right. Uh, of course, Christ is always coming. There was a, a, a very uh, good priest who I've seen many times who, who talks about Christ is continually coming. It's, it's whether or not we're continually accepting him. That is the challenge. But yes. this work of Christ's coming and the building up of the temple and the building of the city of God, as St. Augustine referred to it, is going on continuously. Now, we celebrate it every year at this time of year, but we have to acknowledge as Christians and as uh, Christians with a vocation to build that temple, that work is going on all the time. We just take time, thankfully, each year this year, uh, this, this time of year, to celebrate and to acknowledge that, yes, the Lord is coming. The Lord is coming to build the temple. And that brings us to another um, one of Elizabeth's writings, which, Francis, I'm going to ask you if you would read from the greatness of our vocation here, please. All right. She's uh, responding to a, a letter that was written to her with a question. She says, I want to answer your questions. Let's treat humility first. I have read some splendid pages on it, in the book I spoke to you about, the pious author, this being Roosbrook, um, says that nothing can disturb the humble. He possesses invincible peace, for he has plunged 
into such an abyss that no one would go that far to look for him. He also says that the humble... Oh, am I repeating myself? He also says that the humble person finds his greatest pleasure in life in feeling his own weakness before God. Little Framboise, pride is not something that is destroyed with one good blow of the sword. Doubtless, certain heroic acts of humility, such as we read in the lives of the saints, give it, if not a mortal blow, at least one that considerably weakens it. But without that grace, we must put it to death each day. So, as St. Paul says, I die daily. Right. So here's, again, this theme. He must increase, I must decrease. Now, I said a moment ago we were sort of uh, going to set the table for uh, this evening's uh, program. I should also say, uh, Francis and I will be having a conversation next week, uh, Francis, well, actually two weeks from now because uh, there'll be a change for next week. But uh, in our last program uh, on Elizabeth, we're going to talk about how Christ lives that life through us. But right now, we've worked through this first phase of moving to the indwelling, and now we're working on the greatness of our vocation. What do we do when we've begun to dwell in the Lord and He dwelling in us? And John is saying, He must increase, we must decrease. Elizabeth picks up on Paul's themes and says, I must die daily. And that dying is done through humility. And yes. we've said so many times, uh, 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 Teresa, of Avila, of course, uh, I think the great teacher in many ways on humility uh, tells us humility is simply the acceptance of our condition before God our Father. It's not, hmm. oh, I'm a terrible, oh, I'm awful, oh, uh, you know, some, in many ways that's a false humility, it's right. a false pride. What we're talking about is the acceptance of the reality of our condition. We are dependent creatures, and we're dependent on our Creator. Right, and that picks up on where she says, um, she's quoting the concept, nothing can disturb the humble. So when we are humble about things, we're not disturbed. We might be even uh, surprised that we're not worse off than we thought we'd be, you know, because when you're humble, you you see that you don't have the strength in you, and you rely on God's strength to take care of you. You look to the one who can provide the answer. Well, and that's a great uh, lead-in, Francis, to the next piece that we want to talk about. Just before we go on the break here, So we've talked about this need for Christ to increase. We've talked about our need to accept in humility our daily dying. And now let's go back to the analogy of the temple that we started with. And there's a great uh, scripture verse, of course, where Christ comes to Jerusalem and he goes to the temple. And what what happens there? And this is from John 2.15. And he made a scourge of cords and drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. Now, you might be wondering, as uh, often people do when this particular verse comes up, and of course uh, some uh, theologians have struggled with this, and uh, there have been instances where you know people want to try to explain what it is that Christ is doing here. How can he be driving you know human beings out of the temple with this whip and and one verse says cords, in other words, uh, verse says whip. But yeah, this is one of those times where he's mad. Yeah, <laughs> he's I angry. Mean, he's genuinely clearing the temple, isn't he? Yes. Well, but we have to go back and remember, our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And what is Christ really doing here? Yes, he's absolutely driving the money changers out. We're not diminishing the historical reality of uh-huh. that event. But he's also giving us, we have to look at everything in Scripture, in its material context as well as its spiritual context, right. so, just as we did with silence, solitude, and simplicity. 
What's he really driving out, Francis? Well, I think he wants us to purify our hearts. The temple within needs to be purified of, of this pride and this selling of self. And Christ is giving us an example. One, yes, he will help us. He's going to do that work for us, with us, and in us. But he's also giving us an example. This is the degree to which you must wrestle with the things that are keeping you from me. This is the degree to which you must go after uh, any of the impurities that dwell within you. And let's be honest, uh, all of us in in, uh, Christ recognize, and the deeper we enter into Christ, we recognize more. We have deficiencies, we have impurities, we have those things that keep us from Christ. If that were not true, we'd be home. Um, To a large extent, Mm -hmm. we would be home, or at least we'd be experiencing the degree of sanctity and holiness that uh, Blessed Elizabeth talks about later in her young life. And if we're not, that's okay. The work is being done. But the Lord is saying, here's the degree to which I want you to go after those impurities, that I want you to drive from the temple of your uh, bodies all of the things that are keeping you from me in the way that I did it, uh, giving you that example. So uh, tying together again, building the temple, the need for him to increase. He does the work in us. We have to dispose ourselves, but we have to participate in that work as well. Well, when we come back from the break, we're going to pick up on this theme uh, using, uh, again, Scripture verses, but more importantly, some of Elizabeth's additional writings and letters uh, to build this out. A reminder that you're listening to Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home.
Welcome back, uh, friends of Carmel. I'm Mark Dennis on Carmelite Conversations, and we are doing our program this month on Blessed Elizabeth of the Trinity. I, I want to pick up, uh, Francis, on where we left off just before the break. Uh, we were, of course, talking about the need to build the temple. Uh, we talked about how the Lord comes to aid us by helping us drive out the impurities uh, within that temple of our soul. But what's the greatest impurity, the greatest impediment to our love of God and to the fulfillment of God's will? I would, I would say it's the same thing that had Satan fall from heaven, pride. Am I right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> okay. No question about it. And of course, Elizabeth teaches us this. And pride comes in so many subtle ways. You know, again, I'm going to go back to St. John of the Cross because Elizabeth does so often. Um, we can at times, uh, this is a bit of a sidebar, but worthy of note, I think, at times we can fall victim even as we pursue spiritual goods and virtue, uh, we can fall victim to spiritual pride, right? Yes, and it's yes. not the simple judgment of others. That we would, I, I think, most readily recognize. Yeah, it's much more sneaky. Yeah, it's more sneaky in that we, we become dependent on the uh, fulfillment of our individual devotions, right? The person who says, oh, I haven't got my 12th rosary in today. No, I've got to go do that, where we may leave charity lacking. Right? So yeah. we've got to be careful about that. Or even that. thinking, I must be better than somebody else because my constellations are greater. Yeah. You know, that can really flare up. Yeah. Or I'm a privileged soul because I'm a Carmelite, you know? Take, take <laughs> consolation in this. All of our Carmelite saints would tell us this, I think. And Padre Pio has this message down very well uh, in, in so much of his writing. Take great consolation in this. If you're praying and you're genuinely telling the Lord, I want to do your will, and you're suffering... You're probably in as well. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the way, the truth, the life, yeah. you know, the cross is there. Well, right. so h- how do we go about attacking this pride? What's really happening in that uh, driving out of the temple? Of course, we know it's the pride. But what, Eliz- what does Elizabeth have to say about that? Okay, she says, The freest soul, I think, is the one most forgetful of self. If anyone were to ask me the secret of happiness, all right, take note, listeners, the secret of happiness, I would say it is to no longer think of self, to deny oneself always. That is a good way to kill pride. Let it starve to death. I just love that. So, a good way to kill pride, let it starve to death. You see, pride is love of ourselves. Well, love of God must be so strong that it extinguishes all our self-love. Yeah, and this is a great challenge. Uh, Again, I said Elizabeth is very simple. If we reflect on her message, we can come to understand the remarkable simplicity of what she has to say. But we have to take a moment, and of course, um, we acquire this ultimately not through our intellect. We can reason, and Francis, we have many conversations, and we we find ourselves, even uh, Francis and I outside of the studio, find ourselves, well, how do I say this? How do I communicate? What's the best way to, you know, some of it you just struggle with. At the end of the day, this must be experienced in prayer. And it must be acquired by the heart, not the mind. It can begin with the mind, but it mm-hmm. ultimately has to be acquired by the heart. Why? Because that's, because it's all about love. Yeah, and that's where we really learn this, and that's where it really sticks. We can lose what we acquire intellectually, forgetfulness or a confusion or what have you, but what becomes acquired by the heart we don't tend to lose. Mm. And so what she's saying here is not that love is bad. Remember, obviously, ultimately, we will end up loving ourselves, but we'll love our true self. And we've said on this program in the past, and I think, uh, Francis, we've spoken about this in our community quite often, 
what is the greatest desire of the human heart? We talk about, um, you know, what does it take to fulfill a human person? What's the most meaningful, ultimate uh, fulfillment of the human person? And most people would say it is to be loved, right? Mm-hmm. I desire to be loved. Everybody yeah. wants to be loved. Mm-hmm. But in fact, that's not the fulfillment of the human person. John Paul uh, II taught us very well. The fullest fulfillment, the most uh, glorious uh, completion of the human person is... To, to love others. To be loved. To, be. It's to absolutely be loved. To be, become love be itself. Be love. Be yeah. love. Yeah. yeah. To become love itself. That's what Christ was, yes. right? Very good. Uh, and and that's more challenging. And once we get through that process, then it's perfectly appropriate to love self. But what happens is that we love ourselves, uh, unfortunately, in many cases, in ways that are self-destructive or lead mm-hmm. us, if not down the wrong path, at least uh, away from the right path that would lead us to the Lord. So we have to be careful about the things we love and the way in which we love and then certainly the love that would be directed to ourselves. And so what else does she have to say then to her uh, friend, Frambois? She says, all the movements of pride that you feel within yourself only become false when the will takes part in them. Without that, although you may suffer much, you're not offending a God. So so let's stop there for just a moment. This goes on, but I want to make sure we catch this because I think this is important. All the movements of pride that you feel within yourself only become false, she says, when the will takes place, meaning... The will is what drives the human person. It's what drives human behavior. It's what drives our thoughts. It's, it's you know, all of the great accomplishments throughout the history of, of civilization um, are, are the result of human will driving us towards something, the creation of something. And the human will is, in every single individual, is, is one of the most powerful things in the universe. We don't give it credit. Uh, but it is a remarkably powerful thing. And it's a superior faculty of the soul. It is. It absolutely is. And it... it uh, its manifestation, which we don't always see in the spiritual realm, I think will be a great revelation to us when we are when that veil drops and we see uh, how things have really operated in the spiritual world. We right. see only in shadows in the in material world. But she's saying the movement of pride that you feel within yourself uh, becomes fault when the will takes part. If the will drives us to pride and vanity, and again, as Francis said, these are subtle. These are not the obvious things, mm-hmm. right, where we're puffed up. Um, then we are steered off course. But what does she say? She says, doubtless, self-love is at the bottom of those faults, which, as you say, you commit without thinking. But that, my poor darling, is, in a way, part of us. What God asks of you is never to entertain deliberately any thought of pride and never to act on the inspiration of pride, for this is wrong. And yet, if you find yourself doing either of these, you must not become discouraged, for again, it is pride which is irritated. You must display your misery like Magdalene at the Master's feet and ask him to set you free. He so loves to see a soul recognize its weakness. Then, as a great saint said, the abyss of God's immensity encounters the abyss of the creature's nothingness, and God embraces this nothingness. And doesn't this pick up on the theme that she introduced uh, last week where she said, if you were to ask me, uh, you know, what is the the, the bottom of that um, um, indwelling, the depth of that indwelling, she said, I, I would not be wrong in telling you it's humility, right? Yeah. And so here we have uh, uh, Elizabeth telling us Magdalene sitting at the Master's feet, 
acknowledging her neediness, acknowledging her humility and saying, in my nothingness, I need my father, right? This is back right. to the theme that we picked up with St. Therese of Lisieux when we discussed the childlike spirit yes. of the human soul. We are children of God, and when we accept in humility that we are children of God, that is our relation. It is dependency, it is it is creator and creature, we are the creature, and when we accept that and we begin to turn everything over uh, to the authority of our Father, then he begins to do the work in us that's needed to be done. Right. It's, it's pride that keeps us from doing that, and that's why Elizabeth's so adamant about attacking this idea of pride. Right, and this re- reminds me of Paul, when I am weak, I am strong. So that kind of helps you understand that, or helps me understand that. I hope it helps you. Well, and she picks up on that very theme from Paul, um, this, this idea of the weakness. Um, I'm going to let you read, if you would, from this uh, uh, seventh. Okay. Oh, you see, I have a profound compassion for souls that live only for this world and its trivialities. I consider them as slaves, and I wish I could tell them, shake off the yoke that weighs you down. What are you doing with these bonds that chain you to yourself and to things less than yourself? Yeah, it seems, she says, it seems to me that the happy ones, if you pursue happiness in this life, it seems to me the happy ones of this world are those who have enough contempt and forgetfulness of self to choose the cross as their lot. What a remarkable thing Elizabeth is telling us. Choose the cross. Wait, I run away from the cross. I avoid the trial. This is that joy of suffering that the saints all speak about. Is is there any scriptural grounding for this uh, assertion that we ought to chase after the cross? Well, yes. It's in my own flesh I fill up what is lacking in the passion of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church. Yeah, another difficult uh, verse, of course, from Paul uh, begins with, Now I rejoice in those sufferings for the sake of uh, the, the, the cross, and in my flesh I do my share to fill up. This uh, has been a stumbling block, if you will, of a scripture verse, I think, for many people. Uh, I, I remember quoting it once to a Protestant, and she said to me, no, that verse is not in Scripture. Actually, it is. What and, could that possibly mean? And Blessed Elizabeth says, I experience a profound inner joy in thinking that God has chosen to associate me in the passion of his Christ. Yeah, that's the remarkable thing. So now she's turned the, the you know logic, if you will, on its head and said, wait a minute. Um, Paul has given me this. You know, Paul said, now I rejoice in my sufferings. Why? Because in accepting those sufferings and filling uh, out in our own bodies, extending, if you will, Christ's suffering, what is lacking in Christ's suffering? This is what Paul says. I fill up what's lacking. How could anything be lacking? The only thing that's lacking is the rest of Christ's body. What's the rest of Christ's body? That's us. us. <laughs> and our participation, We're, our favorable response to his call. Yeah, our bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God dwells within us. If all that's true, we are, by nature, extensions of the body of Christ, and those sufferings that he endured are extended through us. Why? Because they are what draw us to love. And Christ's cross is not, is not failure, it's victory. And he and, wants us to participate with him. He's sharing it all. Now we're giving a little bit of an insight into uh, uh, next week's program, Francis, where we talk about Christ living his life literally through us and our fulfilling our lives uh, by living it out in, in the way that Christ gave us the model. Uh, but I want to continue here with Elizabeth's uh, thinking on um, uh, on this idea of uh, of living this out in in her letter uh, 
Uh, I'm going to ask you to go to another text, and this is a wonderful text, there, listeners, if you haven't uh, gotten a copy of this. Uh, page 82 uh, is where we're reading from, in a text titled, He is My Heaven. Uh, this is a challenging, as I said, this, this particular uh, verse is very challenging, uh, but Elizabeth has something to say to us about this. Um, this is the one about the cold, right? Yes. Okay, she says, You ask me how I can endure the cold. Do believe that I am no more generous than you are. Only you are ill, whereas I am in good health. I do not feel the cold. So you see, I have little merit. And I used to suffer much more from winter at home than I do in Carmel, where I have no heat at all. God gives the grace. Besides, it is so good when one feels these little things to look at the Master who also endured all that because he loved us exceedingly, as St. Paul says, then one thirsts to repay him love for love. In Carmel, we find many sacrifices of this kind, but they are so sweet when the heart is wholly taken by love. And the reason I asked you to read that, Francis, is the significance of the words, the little things, right? And this yes. is right back to Therese. <laughs> little things mean a lot. <laughs> yeah, our, our listeners may well be asking, okay, well, that's great. You know, Mark and Francis, you, you talk about, well, I'll just accept my suffering, and I'll just deal with it, and I'll just shoulder it. You know, I'll be the tough person. Of course, that's not what we're saying. Um, we begin our practice of this with the little sufferings. What is she talking about here? The yeah. coldness of Carmel. Now, I don't doubt for a moment uh, that the uh, the Carmel she lived in was cold. There, of course, wasn't uh, uh, the advances in, in uh, interior uh, heat and so forth that we have today. But um, what she's saying is it's those little things that we practice on, you know, the yeah. little fasts, the little curt remarks that come back to us that we hold our tongue in response to, the, the um, you know, the food that's less than ideal and so forth. Therese talked about this. But all of these things become, if you will, uh, the the little exercises that we practice that demonstrate to our Lord we are ready for the next step, Lord. We're ready to go on the longer and the deeper journey. And then he comes to our aid, and he continues to come to our aid as we continue to make that investment in those little things. Yes, I, I, I have to add what she says. This way of Calvary I climb each day seems to me more like the path of beatitude. So if we can see these trials as this, as opportunities, as grace-filled moments uh, to grow in our union with the Lord and share in His redemptive suffering. Um, you know, how beautiful, what a beautiful offering, and, and we're growing closer with God. All right, well, I, I want to continue on this theme, and again, I want to go to a, a, another letter of hers. This is a letter she was writing to, uh, uh, I think it's Mother Germain. Uh, do you have this on page... 96, this is also in He is My Heaven. And so we've picked up on this idea of the little things and those things leading us into um, our, our ability, if you will, to deal with these trials and these struggles. And then she goes on. She said, you must build a little cell within your soul. Oh, no, I'm at the wrong one. Oh, I'm co- Sorry about that. Okay. A Carmelite, my darling, is a soul who has gazed on the crucified who has seen him offering himself to his father as a victim for souls, and recollecting herself in this great vision of the charity of Christ, has understood the passionate love of his soul and has wanted to give herself as he did. And on the mountain of Carmel, in silence, 
in solitude, in prayer that never ends, for it continues through everything. The Carmelite already lives as if in heaven by God alone. The same one who will one day be her beatitude and will fully satisfy her in glory is already giving himself to her. He never leaves her. He dwells within her soul. So this is that idea we talked about earlier. The Lord is always coming to us. He's within our soul. So what does it mean he's always coming to us? Well, this is, again, our our continual preparation, our building of the temple, our experiencing him. Yes, he's always with us, but we don't always listen. We don't go to the silence. We don't find the solitude. We don't simplify. To the degree that we do that, we begin to hear uh, and experience the Lord within us, within that temple. So he says he never leaves her. He dwells within her soul. More than that, the two of them are but one. So she hungers for silence, that she may always listen, penetrate ever deeper into his infinite being. She is identified with him whom she loves. She finds him everywhere. She sees him shining through all things. Is this not heaven on earth? You carry this heaven within your soul, my little Germain. You can be a Carmelite already. For Jesus recognizes the Carmelite from within by her soul. Don't ever leave him. Do everything beneath his divine gaze and remain wholly joyful in his peace and love, making those around you happy. So if we took away nothing from this evening's program, Francis, that one statement, don't ever leave him. We said last week, abide in me. Remember that phrase, abide in me, he says. The Lord says to us, abide in me. Listener, if you can imagine being able to retain that presence, and we're going to talk about Brother Lawrence after the first of the year, but that presence of God, the practice of the presence of God in a continual state, this is what Elizabeth's talking about. Now, in fairness, Elizabeth goes much deeper. She's not just intellectually aware of God. She's not just imaging Him. She is dwelling within her own soul continuously. There's a great story about Elizabeth when she first entered Carmel, uh, and for some time they couldn't find her. You know, they weren't sure where she was. And, of course, uh, the prioress, whose responsibility it was to know where all of her mm-hmm. postulants were, found her in the chapel. And she'd been there, I think, something like two hours at that point. Uh, she knew right where she needed to be when she entered Carmel, and she knew where she needed to stay. And, in fact, there were even some early criticisms of her by the other sisters who would say, oh, there's no way she's going to maintain that level of focus and intensity that she brought to Carmel. Right. Well, in fact, she deepened it. Yes, she um, did. And she did that largely through this practice of silence. That was her uh, primary, she would have called it a virtue. That was her primary virtue, but not, again, silence just in the absence of noise. She could silence everything that wasn't leading her to God. So the importance of this idea of an intense um, dwelling, of an abiding, she never removed herself from the gaze of Christ. Once she entered Carmel, of course in life she had distractions like we all do, but once she entered Carmel, uh, Elizabeth never really left that sense of presence, that the Lord was with her, uh, that he was dwelling within her, and that she uh, stood before him continuously and dwelt with him and listened to him in that silence. What a powerful image, uh, and what a challenge to us to try to uh, capture that spirit uh, of dwelling with him. And let's ask Blessed Elizabeth to help us to do just that. Well, and let's continue. Now, she's writing again to her friend, and I want to get this uh, a particular reflection in as well. 
8 on uh, one. Mm-hmm. You want to read that? Yes. Framboise. To attain the ideal life of the soul, I believe we must live on the supernatural level. That is, we must never act naturally. We must become aware that God dwells within us and do everything with him. Then we are never commonplace, even when performing the most ordinary task. For we do not live in these things. We go beyond them. A supernatural soul never deals with secondary causes, but with God alone. Yeah, that's a powerful line. Think about that. A supernatural soul never deals with secondary causes. What's she saying? Everything is within the will of God. Now, we may be out of the will of God, and therefore God has to intervene. Or everything, of course, that's coming to us on any given day is all within his will. It's our distraction. It's our deferral to secondary causes. Well, gee, I wonder what... I find myself doing this all the time, Francis, and you may as well. Uh, my wife can certainly attest to the fact that I spend an inordinate amount of time <clears throat> judging and evaluating, well, what's God doing here? Why is that happening? Where is that going? Um, Elizabeth says, no, 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 a, a, a supernatural soul living in the supernatural state. We never do that. We don't sit and judge. Is this good or is this bad? Mother Teresa was great about this. You know, She had this great story about of being trapped in the mountains, and food was supposed to get to her. And then an hour later they come and say, well, the food's not going to come. And an hour later they come and say, well, uh, you know, the rains are, are letting up. Maybe the food's going to come. And all the way through it she's like, ah, you know, maybe it comes, maybe it doesn't come. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. It's all in God's will. Everything is within that uh, uh, relationship. There's nothing outside of it. There are no secondary causes. We are the secondary cause if we allow ourselves to be. But in God, there are no secondary causes. It's all part of his will. It's only how we respond to it. That's very beautifully said. And and she goes on to say, oh, how its life is simplified. I mean, can you imagine that? that Right. Simplification. Um, How it resembles the life of the blessed, how it's freed from self and from all things. Everything for it is reduced to unity, to that one thing necessary of which the Master spoke to Magdalene. And you brought that up earlier, this idea that one thing necessary, sitting at the feet of our Lord. We must be at the feet of our Lord 24 by 7, Francis. We should never leave the gaze of our Lord's eyes. We should never leave the feet of our Lord. No matter what's happening in our life, listeners, no matter what challenge, no matter what joy, no matter what we're experiencing, we should never leave the feet of our Lord. Yes, we have to go through our daily tasks. Yes, we have to execute the responsibilities of our station in life, absolutely. But that doesn't mean that our heart should ever have to leave the Lord. And again, that's that idea of the heart. Yes, we have uh, mental imaging of the Lord. We can use a spiritual phrase like, um, uh, purify my heart, O Lord, Uh, make me perfect, Uh, oh my God, uh, dwell within me. Any phrase you want, use a scriptural phrase from Psalms. Uh, You can use those as, as... Uh, ways of getting you to enter back in. But ultimately, if we can move from the phrase, the spoken word, to the image, uh, to the heart, we can keep the Lord with us all the time. And again, I say, does this happen overnight? Will we experience that sort of intensity overnight? No, we have to work at it. Prayer is work. Prayer is, is, uh, it takes time to pray well, and it takes time to do this uh, spiritual work well. If it didn't, of course, uh, we would hope more people would be doing it. But it takes time to achieve holiness, to work and to position ourselves where the Lord will work in us. But it's so worth it. So do it, do it. Pray. All right, let's 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 pick up one more uh, of her quotes here. I think uh, 
page 127, that 10th. And again, we're reading okay. from The Greatness of Our Vocation. And uh, she starts with a scripture passage from Colossians 2. Walk in Jesus Christ, rooted in him, built up on him, strengthened in faith, and growing in him in thanksgiving. Yes, little child of my heart and soul, walk in Jesus Christ. You need this broad road, for you were not made for the narrow paths of here below. Be rooted in him. This implies being uprooted from self or doing everything as if you were by denying self each time you meet it. Be built up on him, high above everything that is passing, there where everything is pure, everything is luminous. And so here we are, back again. Be built up in him. Build that temple. Build that city of God. Dwell within him and let that city be built within us. You know, as we um, get ready to close here, I want to offer some, or let Elizabeth offer us, some advice, and this was an interesting uh, idea on the form of prayer uh, that she offered to uh, uh, one of her uh, sisters in the uh, uh, in the Carmel, and she uses this uh, this brief instruction, and then I'm going to tell you how it works. But <clears throat> she says, first of all, and this is unfortunately for Francis and I because we read too much. Hmm. Uh, but she says, I would advise you to simplify all your reading to fill yourself a little less you will see that this is much better. Take your crucifix instead, she says. Look and listen. You know the rendezvous is there, and don't be troubled when you are occupied like you are now and can't do the ex- all the exercises. You can pray to God while working. It's enough to think of him, she says. Then all becomes sweet, all becomes easy, since you're not working alone. Jesus is there. It begins by looking at our Lord in the crucifix. Hold the crucifix. And I recommend uh, this as a form of prayer at night before you settle in at night. Just hold the crucifix in your hands and look at it. Just look at the Lord. You don't have to think. You don't have to image. It's all in front of you there. And just listen, she says. And then you can carry uh, that, uh, one, to sleep, and two, as you wake up the next day and begin your work, try to pick up right there and carry the Lord with you. Know uh, that He's dwelling within you, and you are to abide in Him and never leave His gaze. Well, this is the uh, the challenge that Elizabeth uh, leaves with us, but uh, in order to fulfill it, of course, we have to pray. So, Francis, would you close us in prayer this evening? And this is from tr- her own words. Oh, my God, I ask you to make us genuine in our love, that is, men and women of sacrifice. It is our mission to prepare the ways of the Lord by our union with Him. In contact with Him, our soul will become like a flame of love spreading through all the members of the body of Christ, which is the Church. Amen. Well, thank you again, listeners. You've been listening to Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. We'll be with you again next week. Until then, God bless.